Well, good morning. Happy December to you. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. How many of you enjoyed Brian being able to preach last week and teach last week? Yeah, there we go. Good. All right. Yeah. Nice job. Give him a round of applause. He did a really nice job. Um, okay. Some of you cl- <laughs> We're glad you're here, Brian. Your mom's here. and The illustration Brian shared last week about packing everything into the moving van and like trying to cram it all in or like and getting it all. The, the first four verses of Hebrews, this is where we're at, the first four verses, that, what a great illustration I thought that was. That like there was so much packed into those first four verses that kind of sets the tone for where we're going with the rest of it. But I have to tell you, I was there when we unloaded that moving van and, and he was not kidding. Every square inch of that thing was packed and we're climbing up in there trying to figure out how anyone stuffed it in there because now we have to get it out without hurting ourselves and uh, it, was, it was good to be there. We are in this He is Greater series. You know, I don't know if you'd realize that we do this, these little business cards, uh, we put them in the back after every service during every series. This is designed to be a tool for you. So we're trying to put tools in your hands to be able to invite someone to our church, to be able to say pretty easily, all it says is the, the logo on the front, He is Greater, this is a series that our church is doing. You are invited, it says on the back. And so uh, we also don't even put the date on them. We do that intentionally so that if for some reason you have this in your wallet or in your purse and the series is gone and it's passed, you could still hand it to somebody and get them connected to our church if that draws someone's attention. If he is greater is the series that we're in. So we've got this series. It will take us all the way through the end of the month and so all the way through Christmas. And if if you'd like to take one or two of those and when you uh, leave uh, the restaurant at the end of your meal that you can just drop that off or different ways you can hand that to someone as an invite card, that would be a fantastic way. So what is the main idea of those first four verses as Brian led us through last week? Is Jesus is greater than the prophets, he's greater than the priests, he's greater than the kings. And just like the wise men as they came before Jesus, What is it that you and I need to lay down before the King of Kings? And I'm going to tell you, uh, as I was away, I was away in South Carolina last week. My parents live in Anderson, South Carolina, which is about 30 minutes from where I used to live for almost 10 years. Uh, They moved there. While I lived there, we had the first of their grandkids, and they are not coming back. There is no chance of them coming back. They love that area, which is nice. So we went and we visited with them and had a good time together with them. And... um, I just, while we were there, we were there over Thanksgiving, and of course the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, and without fail, every year there's always some YouTube video that's posted uh, hours into Black Friday of some crazy fight breaking out on Black Friday in the morning, right, of, of someone getting trampled on their way into Walmart, or somebody's got their hands on that whatever the toy of the year is, the Tickle Me Elmo of the year, and like they're going to fight to that. So the question that I want to ask you this morning, before we dive in, before we get any further there, and I'll have to give you a little explanation of where the question is going, but the question that I want to ask you is how many of you have ever been in a fight? Now, before you raise your hands, I want to explain what I mean with that. I'm not talking about the fight when you were in kindergarten that somebody uh, took one too many of the goldfish out of the goldfish bowl and got in your way. I'm talking about a fight where you wound up and you stepped back and you waited and you either struck or you received a blow to the body, most likely your face, or some of you uh, have gotten the open hand coming across, and that's a whole different type of thing. That takes a different type of response at times. How many of you, all right, now we're going to do it. We're going to raise our hands for you. How many of you have ever been in a fight? Raise your hands. 
All right, we have some pretty, pretty violent people here today, <laughs> particularly over here in Brian's section. Um, don't mess with those guys. The Maple Corridor is, is going to be a dangerous place to be able to be in. Um, so why am I bringing that up? So there's some things about fighting. If you've ever been in a fight, or I guess if you're going to line up for one this afternoon, you need to know uh, what's going on when, when it comes to a fight. You need to know your opponent first of all. If you get into a fight, if you're you know, messing with a schoolyard bully or whatever it is, if you get into a fight and you don't know your opponent, you are most likely lining yourself up for a whooping. Um, most likely, if you don't pay attention to your opponent and, and who he is or she is, you're going to get your butt whooped because you don't know your opponent. And I'm speaking firsthand as the one who has been beaten up and the one who has beat someone up. And there is a difference between the two. Like some of you are saying, well, there... thank you, Mary. <laughs> There's a difference between the two. Some of you are like, well, I've been in a fight and there wasn't really a winner and a loser. L listen. There was a winner to that fight, and there was a loser. One of you got to stand over the other person, whatever that looked like, and won. And some of you, well, let me ask this question. How many of you have lost a fight? Raise your hand. Yeah, most of you are liars, all right, because <laughs> there's no way that that first question was answered the way that it was. And then the second question, yeah, listen, I've never lost a fight. Okay, sure. So if you're in a fight, so the reason why I bring this up, there's a winner and there's a loser. Uh, when I was in high school, well, first of all, I was the oldest, and so I had, I was the oldest in my family. I didn't have any older brothers or sisters, uh, but in our church, uh, the pastor's son, his name was Benjamin. Uh, he's a little older than me, and in a lot of ways, he was like a big brother. We would, we would roughhouse around and different things like that. But when I was a freshman in high school, Ben was a senior in high school. And so if I ever had any, even though Ben would rough me up on the side, if there was ever any issue that I had, Guess who was in the area all of a sudden? It was my buddy Ben. And so you had Ben, and many of you might think of Ben, as I'm going to go into this illustration for this today, is as my guardian angel. I could get myself into trouble, and there might be a fight coming on or something like that, and all of a sudden Ben would walk in. And Ben's not some ominous character by any means, but he was a senior and we were all freshmen, and things would just kind of dissipate. And so when I talk about, I'm talking about a guardian angel, not like, like Clarence, uh, you know, from It's a Wonderful Life. I'm talking about a guardian angel, like a warring angel, if you will. We look in Scripture and we see uh, Isaiah 37 is probably the best example that we see of a warring angel. And Hezekiah has gotten himself into trouble. Uh, the, the army was trapped. The Assyrian army is closing in. And if you know the story, what happens? But this angel, God sends an angel. He shows up, and overnight there are 185, 185,000, excuse me, Assyrian uh, army that are laying dead, and the angel is standing there over them, and God has saved his people with Hezekiah. Like this is the type of, when you talk about a guardian angel, you're talking about someone who can do some battle, someone who can do some damage. This is what a warring angel would look like. So when we're talking about this in our modern day and, and kind of where I'm going with this today, I'm not talking about the precious moments doll uh, of an angel. Like modern day, the, the only comparison I could even come close to, to making would be like the blue angels, like a fighter jet in comparison to what you and I are. That's what, <coughs> excuse me, a warring angel would look like. Are you familiar with the blue angels? Like the, the, the four planes that they fly around and they do incredible things. If you've ever been to an air show, like they, they fly within inches of each other. 
and they'll fly over the stand sometimes and they'll break the sound barrier above. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's unbelievable. Like all of a sudden the plane is there and then the sound of what happens explodes above your head. It's just the weirdest thing. I was in the Marine Corps in the Marine Band, so I got to play a lot of ceremonies and, and uh, we would perform a lot for families as, as the troops were coming home. And a lot of times we would get to play for squadrons as they were coming home. And there was one squadron in particular when I was in Beaufort Air, uh, Air Station in South Carolina. This squadron decided as part of their coming home ceremony. So think about the you know, NFL games they start and there's the four planes that will fly over, the Blue Angels will fly over. This squadron decided to have all 16 planes flew in formation and we're, you know, playing in the band and all of a sudden 16 planes just come flying in above us and like, you know, we all soiled our pants. Like it was unbelievable. That's the type of power that I'm trying to get across to you when it talks about angels and scripture. And so if you're using in your bulletins this morning, you got a little white sheet of paper. Uh, it kind of takes you through our notes as we're going through the message this morning. So the first kind of statement I want to make this morning is, angels are great, but Jesus is greater. The background in this book is uh, these different letters were kind of formally brought together around A.D. 100, and they started calling this book that we're in, they, they called it the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, by at least the second century A.D., that's what they were calling it. it. It carries that because it's filled with references to Hebrew history, and it's filled with references to uh, the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices and all that was going on in Jewish culture. And specifically, which is important to note, they were, they were being talked about in present tense. And so because it was being talked about in present tense, we know that it has to have been written before 70 A.D. because that's when the temple fell, when the Romans uh, took everything out. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the temple, when it comes apart, then you've got uh, no longer those practices. So it was written at least before that. And the Hebrews were primarily converts to Christ that they're being written to here. <coughs> There's a number of Hebrews in the midst who were unbelievers but were attracted by the message of salvation. And they were not yet made a full commitment to faith in Christ. Now that's important to note because even every Sunday we have here the same type of delineation. First we have believers that were here. You come every week, you believe and you trust in God, you already believe that he is greater. But secondly, you, you have some that are here that are unbelievers except that you actually believe from a morality standpoint that you think that the scriptures are good for you to, to look at or that Jesus' teachings are positive, you just don't see him as Lord. But then there's others who are unbelievers who are unimpressed and unexcited about the gospel and have reached no final conviction about who Jesus is or what he has to say. And just like our audience here has all three of those things here, uh, the audience for Hebrews had that as well. Well, and so there's something applicable for each of you here this morning. So as we use that as an intro, take your Bibles out, if you will, this morning and turn them to Hebrews chapter 1. If you've got your own copy of God's Word, we're going to Hebrews chapter 1. If not, use the, the Black Pew Bibles that are in front of you. Uh, if you need a page number, I think it's page 1254. I'll be teaching from the NIV this morning just so we're all on the same page. So if you're using a U version or some other type of app for your phone, you can... Follow along, that's where we are this morning. It's a little unclear that this author, as we're going to begin to see here, this author 
uh, has, has looked at this passage, and so we've covered the first four verses last week, but now the author just takes this big shift and immediately starts to talk about angels and the significance of angels almost in the opening remarks of the book, which just seems a little bit odd to me. Like he starts the letter or she starts the letter, whoever it is, because we don't know who the author is. They begin the letter and they start writing this letter and almost out of the gate it says, we need to talk about angels and we need to talk about them in reference to Jesus. So at the very least, Hebrews were very interested in angels. Some of them were totally enamored by angels and angel worship, and they paid attention to it. And so if nothing else, they believed in angels. And so do you believe in angels? There's a recent poll that was taken that said that 79% of Americans, when polled, believe in angels. And actually 89% of teenagers believe in the existence of angels. So that means in this room, at least 8 to 9 of you out of 10 believe in angels. That's fine. That's good. Like that, that, There's nothing the matter with that. I just want to set that as a baseline. But I also want to talk about where, excuse me, that what you believe about angels is as important as the fact that if you believe in angels, that's good. What do you believe about angels? And where is it that you're getting your information? I think that's a key thing that we want to talk about. Because if you think about what we know from angels in culture, I kind of referenced it earlier when we talk about every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And you know that's not in scripture, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure that we, we start there. Uh, if you are in the stands at a baseball game and you start waving your arms up and down in the outfield, it doesn't necessarily mean that angels will come and rescue the ball game so that you can win the championship. Like, it's, that's, that's not happening. But even some that are a little, like, more serious, like the idea that if a, a child dies that they will have wings and they will become an angel in heaven. Like, that's, the, these things our culture tells us are misleading. In fact, there's a whole uh, kind of, story that goes with this. Doreen Virtue is her name. You can look her up on the internet because you know everything's true if you do that. Um, she's a self-proclaimed angel therapy practitioner. Angel therapy practitioner. She sees angels. She interacts with angels. If you would pay a small fee, you can go and have a counseling appointment with her and she will talk to the angels and tell and interact with you and how you should make decisions in your life. And here's some things that she will tell you and me uh, that she wants you to know about angels. First, that everyone without exception has a guardian angel. Everyone without exception has a guardian angel, in her words. Also, Angel stays with you your entire life. This guardian angel, uh, when you are born, an, uh, an angel is assigned to you, and they stay with you your entire life. And so the way that she words, it stays with you your entire life until you transition back to heaven. That's how she words it. That's what the angel is there for. Uh, the angel loves you no matter what you do, no matter how you act, no matter how you behave. This angel loves you and cares for you. In fact, all angels love you and care for you unconditionally. Angels are happy to help. Uh, they, they love to be able to help and love to serve, but they actually need you to say thank you every once in a while. An angel will not intervene. She calls it the law of free will. They will not intervene in your life unless you ask them to. Invite them to intervene in your situation, and then the angel will intervene. Or, of course, if it's an emergency, then the angel 
will then intervene in that case. Angels don't judge. Angels want you to be happy, want you to live a healthy life, even would like it if you were wealthy. They want you to be in an abundant life. She would want you to know that angels are all around you right now. And, and how do you know that? Well, maybe every once in a while you feel a brush on your, on, on your arm, and that's an angel's wings as it's wrapping its arms around you. Or maybe every once in a while, the corner of your eye, there's a glint of light that you happen to catch. That would be an angel uh, moving in that way. Maybe you, you find a mysterious feather every once in a while, and you can't really figure out where it came from. That's because there's angels around you. Or maybe you, you hear music playing, and no one else in the room can hear the music that's playing, and it's angelic music, and so therefore, there's an angel that's there with you. And she says all of these things would tell you that that's, that's an angel. And how do we know this? We know it's true because Doreen Virtue tells us that it's true and her experience and, and her interaction with angels would tell us so. The question in that situation you have to ask and in every situation you have to ask is, what does the Bible say about this? Because that's a very confusing thing. If we start going down that path, what does the Bible get to say about this? And we're going to get to the passage here in Hebrews, I promise. We're going to get there. But just generally speaking, angels are talking about and written about all throughout the Bible. We could go for a few weeks on this subject, really, about what angels have been written about. The seraphim and the cherubim and, and the, uh, the archangels. There are angels with wings and there's angels without wings. And there are angels who at times will take the form of a person. And there's angels who would never do that. There's all-seeing angels. And some of you would love that because you get so interactive. It just feels like this whole world of the unseen and the unknown that you would love to be able to know more about. But today I want to talk to you about Jesus because that's what the author of Hebrews does, angels and Jesus. And when Jesus walks the earth, here are a few things that we know about Jesus. When Jesus was born, angels, as we talked about in the Advent reading this morning, angels are proclaiming the coming King, the Messiah. When Jesus starts his ministry and Jesus is out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by Satan, what happens after that? Angels come and they minister to him. The night before Jesus goes to the cross and he's in the Garden of Eden, uh, what is he doing? He is praying until sweat comes off of his brow, but what does it say also? That angels came and served him there. Uh, when we see him in the garden and now the, the soldiers are coming to take him away and take him uh, to trial, what happens is that he pulls, uh, Peter pulls out a sword and he cuts off one of the soldier's ears and Jesus stops everything and he takes that ear and he puts it back on the, on the side of the guy's head and, and heals him in that moment. He turns and he tells Peter, he says, don't you understand if I needed to, in a moment I could call legions, 12 legions of angels. <coughs> at the resurrection, when Mary comes to the tomb and they look at the tomb, what do we see there? We see an angel, and that angel says the prolific words. She says, why are you, he says, or he or she, we don't know angels don't have sex. We just, we know that the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? At Jesus' ascension, the angel reminds the disciples as they are looking up into the heavens. He says, just the way that you saw him leave is the way that he will return when he comes back in the clouds. And when Jesus, in the book of Revelation, when he comes back as king and as ruler over all, what do we see? We see an army of angels there with him. 
That's what the Bible says about angels. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about these angelic beings. That's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible never says. The Bible never says that you and I have an individual guardian angel. If anything, when you look at Scripture, you could probably make a case for a zone defense, if you will, but never a one-on-one defense. There are angels, yes, that are guarding, but not an individual angel that is there to serve your needs. Uh, The Bible never says that we will die and one day we will all become angels if we've lived a wholesome life. It never says that. The Bible never says that angels are there to serve me or to serve you. Angels only serve God and God alone. The Bible never says that you will know that they are near by a brush on your skin or a light in the corners of your eyes or uh, the fact that you hear music playing or any of those things. Quite the opposite. Every time you see an angel in Scripture, what do you see? You see someone laying on their face on the ground with their nose pressed into the ground and they are terrified and shaking out of their boots. That's what an angel is in Scripture. It is not warm and cuddly and fuzzy and and loving and, and just wants to give you a big hug. If an angel showed itself here today, do you understand, even as I'm talking about and trying to set the, the stage for this, if an angel appeared in this room in all of its glory, there would be screaming and terrified and we would all run out of the room. That's what an angel is. And so we have to have that perspective when we're looking at Scripture here, every time we see an angel in Scripture, they have to begin their statement with, do not fear. Angels have only one purpose, and it's in their name. It's what their name means in both Hebrew and in Greek. And their angel, that word means messenger, messenger of God, or more specifically, messenger of Jesus Christ. If an angel were ever to act on your behalf or on mine, in any way or in our church's way, in any way, it's only because of the grace of God that Jesus has sent that angel to do something on our behalf because they serve him and him alone. And you're going to see that here in Scripture today. So that's angels in the Bible, in in the entire Bible. But what about the angels that are being spoken about here in Hebrews. Again, I ask you that question. Why start out the book of Hebrews? Why start out that way right out of the gate? After the first four verses, we go through those very packed verses, and then all of a sudden, boom, here we go. We're talking about angels. I think there's two reasons. First, like us, the Hebrews, the Jews, were fascinated with angels. Uh, they, they thought that they were very interesting. They, they thought that in any chance that they had, they put angels on to a pedestal. But remember, even to a greater extent, more than we understand, as Brian talked about last week, their culture was very different than ours. To them, under the old covenant, under the law, the, the angels to the Hebrews was actually the mediator between God infinite and man finite. There was the only connection, this mediator between God and man was an angel. And it seemed like that angel would cross back and forth between the two. The only mediator between Almighty God, who they called Yahweh, and man, who was going to die at one point, and there's this angel that can come and go. The author of Hebrews is going to build a case throughout the book again and again and again that he is greater. And in doing that, he will make the argument that Jesus is a greater mediator than the angels could ever possibly be. 
Second, I believe the author starts the book this way because it wants to make a clear distinction between Jesus, or now what we know as Christianity, and spirituality. A difference between Christianity and spirituality. One thing that is clear from the epistle, as you look through this and as we make our way through, the community of Hebrews were facing the possibility of persecution at every corner. It was intensified, and as they are confronted by this possibility, Hebrews are tempted to downplay the significance of Christ. If they get in a situation where they consider demoting Christ from being who he is God's son to merely an angel, you understand that troubles would actually start to go away. That there wouldn't be anyone after them because maybe then they would be welcomed back into the the Hebrew church and the Hebrew synagogues because now they are not implying that he is God's son. They're just implying that he's an angel and maybe even the greatest of all angels, but he is an angel and he is not God. But as soon as you make that connection, worshiping Jesus as Yahweh means that persecution is going to come, and it is going to come continually. And it means making the choice to follow him and knowing that he is greater, not not just that God is up here and the angels are right here, but that God is up here and nothing else compares. When that decision is made, when that distinction is made, they would be looking at certain death and persecution no matter what. Was he going to be worth it? So as I make that statement at the beginning again, angels are great, but Jesus is greater. We again know that this author is writing to the Hebrews because he's going to quote seven Old Testament passages or from the old law. He's going to, from that old covenant, he's going to do that for the Jewish audience. They're going to know these passages backwards and forwards. They're going to know exactly what he's talking about as he brings them up. And that's where we're going to go today. Angels are great, but Jesus is greater. Number one, by virtue of his name. That's a fill-in for you. By virtue of his name. Verse four. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Angel is a good name. Angel means messenger, as we said, that's a good name, but he has a better name, a name which means it's been received by inheritance, that he has a right to it and only he has a right to it. He has a legitimate claim on the throne. He has a legitimate claim on the abundance and fullness of God because of his name, and that is a more excellent name than angel. What's that name? Verse 5, for which the angels did ever say, you are my son today. I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So verse 5 says, ask this question, to which of the angels has this name been given? And of course, the answer is none. This name was never given to the angels. Like a human father and son, God the Father and Jesus and the Son, they share in the essential nature, which is the main point. But unlike the human father and son, in this case, uh, God the Father did not predate the son. They are the very existence of one another. He is eternal and is eternal God. He is God. Jesus was never created. He is entirely God. Which of the angels would you call son? The answer is absolutely none. There is something about that name. Angels are great But Jesus is greater by virtue of his name. Secondly, by virtue of his rank. Verse 6. 
and again. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Now think about it. It would not be necessary for the author of Hebrews to clarify Jesus as the firstborn son because there was not a second son or a third son. There is only one. But the term firstborn is not about numerics. It is not about number order. It is something different. It is a, not a chronological term to indicate the sequence of birth. It is a meaning of preeminence. When he is the firstborn, Jews, they understood this term firstborn. Think about it. Think in their context and in their mind. The nation of Israel is God's firstborn nation. It is not the first nation on the planet. There were other nations who had risen and fallen. They were not the first nation to ever be, uh, to, to rise up. But this was God's firstborn nation. Or think about King David. King David is talked about as the firstborn king. He is not the first king of Israel. He's not the first child in his family. In fact, he was way down the list, but he is the firstborn king. Why? Because it's a matter of preeminence, a matter of authority that is put there. Firstborn means the premier one. Firstborn is the preeminent one, the most prominent one, the highest of all. And it indicates that the rank of Jesus, that he is the ranking one, he is the supreme one. Angels are great But Jesus is greater by virtue of his name, by virtue of his rank. Thirdly, by virtue of his authority. Verse 8. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. As I'm, I'm reading these verses in most of your Bibles, this is tabbed over a little bit, or it's in parentheses. And if you look down at the bottom, this is, these are quotes from Psalms, and these are quotes from Old Testament passages making this connection of, of Jews. Look, Hebrews, look. This is, these are passages that you know, and who are they talking about? Because it cannot be about an angel. It has to be about Jesus by virtue of his authority. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with an oil of joy. As God, Jesus reigns forever and ever. His rule is marked with love and righteousness and the hatred of lawlessness. These qualities mark Jesus' earthly life. When he walked the earth, these kingly features, even though he was not a king in the sense that they expected his features of how he walked and the character of Jesus of how he walked the earth, he rules the nations. (coughs) And they will supremely mark his second coming as king. Angels are great, but Jesus is greater by virtue of his name, by virtue of his rank of his authority, fourthly, by virtue of his eternal nature, of his eternal nature. Verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that has to be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. 
This is the eternal nature of Jesus, the Son of God. Angels were not eternal, but Jesus is eternal. Angels at some point were created. Jesus was not created. He is the creator. And this is pointing us back to uh, Genesis 1, 1 of just this is the foundations of the earth and he was there and he did not change and he will not change. He cannot change because he is God. And we know from scripture that angels changed. There was angels who started out in glory and decided and made a decision to change and go with Satan and be part of the army that fights against the living God. But in doing that, God will never change. Jesus will never change. He cannot change. And creation, it says here, will dissolve like clothes that get worn out and you need to throw away. Look around you. It's all dissolving. Creation is dissolving all around us. Global warming and everything that goes with that. Creation is coming apart little by little by little. Think about it. It's dissolving. It'll wear out like your shoes. Some of you wore the same pair of shoes in high school because you loved them. And, they, and your parents, maybe if you've got kids, teenagers like this, you're like, listen, you got to get a new pair of shoes. Those things are wore out. You're like, oh, they're my favorite shoes. I don't care. You need some new shoes. And by the time winter comes around again, they will agree with you. They need some new shoes. Or maybe it's your favorite baseball cap or, or whatever it is. Or maybe your baseball glove. Or uh, another thing that I've learned over the years, that a kid's car seat, of all things, it, it actually wears out. And if you've got older kids and younger kids, when you put your younger kids in that car seat, it's unsafe because now the, it's actually physically worn out. They don't trust the seat belts are going to hold up in a car accident. They don't trust that the plastic is going to hold up in a car accident. And so it has gotten brittle and it's gotten worn. It's no longer good. It's dissolving. And we look around all creation, and it is doing the same thing. In the passage here, when you look around and you see that, it's like a worn-out garment. But you know what? God, he remains throughout. He is consistent, and he does not change. The heavens and the earth over time will be uncreated, but God will never change. Angels are great. But Jesus is greater by virtue of his name, his rank, his authority, his eternal nature. And lastly, by virtue of his destiny. By virtue of his destiny. Verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 13 introduces the seventh quote that he's using here in this passage with a rhetorical question. Which of the angels did he said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool your feet? And the implied answer is again, none. He never said that about an angel. The promise of Psalm 110, where this comes from, is the Son, the Messiah. No angel was ever asked to sit at the right hand of God and have all the enemies made as footstool. The destiny of Christ is to rule all, with every knee in heaven and in earth will bow before him at the throne. All of his enemies will come as a footstool to his feet. You can see that unfolding through the rest of the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation where he finally sits on that throne and subjects all enemies to himself, takes his seat as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No angel is ever given that type of sovereign rule. The angels are not sovereign. 
Angels don't rule over everything. They don't rule over anything. In fact, verse 14 is where we're going. It makes the distinction clear. They aren't sovereign. They are serving. Verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The Christ followers, those who live in Christ. I'm sure that there are angels unaware or at least we're unaware of them, uh, serving those who are in the gospel all the time. They are serving us. Yes, I believe that to be true. But their destiny is service. His destiny is sovereignty. Their destiny and his destiny are entirely different. Angels are great, but Jesus is greater. Listen, we need to understand this. We need to be reminded that Jesus is not your good buddy. He's greater. Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus, take the wheel. No, he's greater than that. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's greater than that. He is greater. He is God. When we're preparing sermons, as a pastor, Brian and I do this, others, as you are preaching, you, when you go through a passage like this, you're looking for verbs. You're looking for action points, action steps, because at that point, then you can say, okay, this is the action that is happening. So, he, so God is calling his people to this action, and therefore, today, when we look at it 2,000 years later, here's the action steps that we can take. As you look through this passage, there, there aren't any. When you, after that, you go through and then you can look and you say, okay, look for examples. What are people doing in this passage that we can emulate? What, are, what is this character doing? That, how are they responding to God and how would that match up with how I can respond to God? And there's no people here. So who are we to emulate? It's actually the angels themselves. If you want to jump over there, I'll... In Luke chapter 2, in the Christmas story, this passage, and it's stuck in my brain in King James Version, but you see the angels come. And the angel says to them, remember this? Fear not, for behold, today I bring you good tidings of great joy, which should be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That's what the angels did there in Bethlehem. That's how they responded. They knew that this baby, he is greater. The angels proclaimed this baby, he is greater. They were joyful, it says, that this baby, they were excited, they were happy. They, these angelic beings, the ones who are capable of so much, they were excited and filled with joy that this baby, this infant, this child in the manger was greater, far greater than any of them. And you need to hear that this morning. 
He is greater than your family drama over the Christmas holidays. He is greater than your desire to please everyone and everything and to have this mystical Christmas moment. He is greater than that because that will come to a dead end. Eventually at some point that leaves you in despair because you cannot fill it. Uh, He is greater than your desire to shower your friends and your family with gifts and what turns out is that in January you realize that you have overspent yourself. He is greater than your busy December calendar. He is greater than the pain of loss that you are going through this Christmas season. Some of you, Christmas is a most difficult time to get through. And people who are in recovery from alcohol and narcotics, this is a difficult time to get through. People who have lost loved ones, this is a difficult time to get through. He is greater. And he is greater than your unbelief of him. If you're here this morning and the Christmas story is something that you've heard so many times that it just kind of callous, you just said, that's a good story. I'll tag that in with all the kind of Christmassy holiday stories that I've heard. No, he's bigger than that. He's greater than that. And he is greater than your unbelief in him. And he can draw you unto himself in that. He is greater. It's fitting today that we will celebrate communion. And those who are communion attendees this morning, you can make your way forward. The Last Supper meal, Jesus is with his disciples. He's with his apostles. And it will be forever etched in their memories to be certain that they document it and write it down in the Gospels and make their way through. They, They want you to know and remember That Jesus says, this is the way that you are to remember me. That they finally got it. They finally understood who he was. He is greater than any other leader they had ever seen. He is greater than any prophet that had ever come before. He is greater because he is the Messiah. And they realized that there at that meal. The Lord's Supper is much more than sipping a cup of juice and eating a small wafer. That's what we're going to do this morning, and and that's an important piece, but it's so much more than that. It's a simple act. It's the best way to symbolize what he did. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper, when when we do that, it's a solemn time to think about what Jesus did and how he sacrificed himself for you and for me. It's a time for us to evaluate our lives and put things into perspective, put them in their proper order. Again, that we are all here and God is on a different plane, different plane than the angels, different plane than anything and anyone else that has ever happened because they have all been created and he is God. It's a time for thanksgiving to Christ's sacrifice and the way that he completely covered your sins and mine. It's more than religious ritual. Communion is called a common union with other believers. It's what we have in common with one another and with Christ himself. And here at Randall, we practice open communion, which means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we would love for you to be able to participate with us here today. There's scripture that says if you are not a believer, please abstain because you don't understand what you're getting into, basically. He is way bigger, way greater, again, than you 
understand and imagine. But for the rest of you who are here and you're going to participate this morning, would you do so with some solemn time to realize the sacrifice of what he did for you and for me? We also practice a dry communion. It's grape juice. I think it's Welch's. It's tasty. Why? Because there may be some of you here that as we talk about the holidays and different things like that, that alcohol is a stumbling block to you. Why would we ever want to put something there that is a stumbling block to pull you away from what God is already doing in your life? So it's Welch's grape juice. We also believe that it's a symbol. We don't actually believe that this is the very blood and body of Christ, that it's symbolic. When Jesus was there with his disciples, with the apostles, that this was a symbol of every time that you have a meal together, that you should remember the sacrifice that he made. And so this morning as I read it from 1 Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is how he talked to his disciples. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed... He took bread. And following that example, that's what we will do first this morning. As we hand out the elements, will you be in prayer this morning of what God is doing in your life? Be thankful for what he's doing in your life. But put things in their proper order. The elements will make their way to the back so you can wait for it to come through and then the attendees will come forward again in just a moment. But as you hold that, that bread in your hand, would you take time to think about the greatness of an almighty God and yet he was willing for his body be broken for you.
As I began reading a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, For I received the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. After that, it says, in the same way, he took the cup. And so following that lead, we will do the same here this morning.
1 Corinthians 11:25 says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. It was customary for them to do as well in that time was them to share that meal together and then worship and pray with hymns singing and songs. So would you stand with us today as we sing to close this portion of the service?